calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 15. Three, Zhuzhkov District, Prague, February 1st, 1970. Gabe convulsed. The golem's touch turned the crackle in his head into a full-blown electrical storm. The taste of metal filled his mouth. The smell of ozone filled his nose. The seizures made it impossible to speak. It was as though the golem and the hitchhiker were opposite magnetic poles, desperate for fusion, and their only obstacle was Gabe. Something invisible wormed deeper into his mind, en route to the golem. His scream filled the graveyard. The police shouted to each other, blew whistles. Flashlights approached. Jordan took his free arm and pulled. But she might as well have been a newborn kitten trying to nudge a boulder. Words filled Gabe's head. Words from a language he didn't understand, but which he somehow knew was older than his species. Alien language spilled from his mouth. Meaning, comprehension, discretion, none of it mattered only giving voice to ancient truths. He became their vessel. His lips, tongue, teeth, throat, and lungs worked of their own accord. The words couldn't be whispered. They had to be yelled. They left an ashen taste in their wake. Jordan wound back and slapped him across the face hard enough to snap his head aside. It should have hurt, but all he could feel was razor-edged syllables shredding his vocal cords. He spoke a curse and tasted blood. Shut up, she hissed, and help me free you. He tried to say, I'm trying, but all that came out was, 
The crunch of footsteps on gravel approached from the fog. Jordan released him and scrambled from the hole. She crouched behind a grave marker and hefted the shovel like a baseball bat. She wound up like Babe Ruth. Alistair emerged from the swirling fog. The steel ferrule of his umbrella clicked lightly on the gravel as he paused to survey the situation. He tipped his hat to Jordan. Miss Reams, a pleasure as always. He crouched at the grave's edge. The shouts and whistles grew nearer, as did the flashlight beams lighting up the fog. Alistair looked at Gabe, then to the inhuman hand holding him fast. He clucked his tongue. Oh, my dear boy, I must say you are terribly predictable. Gabe replied, Alistair cocked an eyebrow. Indeed. From the breast pocket of his suit, he produced a flask. As he uncapped it, Jordan said, Oh, come on, this really isn't the time. But instead of taking a swig, Alistair splashed the contents over the clay hand clamped around Gabe's wrist. The fingers snapped open. Gabe tumbled backward. The thing in his head still vibrated like a bone saw poised to split his skull, but at least his thoughts were his own again. What the hell was that? Holy water? There's no need for blasphemy, Gabriel. Merely a dash of water from the Vultava. He recapped the flask and tucked it back in his pocket. I fear it's unlikely to slow our friend here for more than a few moments. Already the clay fingers were wiggling. There came a scraping and crunching too, as if the hand's owner were clawing free of its grave. Together, Jordan and Alistair hauled Gabe from the hole. Well then, Miss Reams, Mr. Pritchard? Alistair gestured with his umbrella, away from the flashlights and shouts that were moments from converging upon them. This way, if you please, I advise haste. Tanya sighed when her apartment building hove into view. Or she would have, if not for the shivers racking her body. It had been a long, miserable walk from the river. Her boots squelched. She left a trail of muddy footsteps and silvery exhalations in her wake. It was cold in the river. Very, very cold. She lingered at a corner to let a boisterous trio of students stumble past. Better to let them go ahead. She probably looked like a river witch, complete with mud in her hair. Two women and a man crossed the street, his arms over their shoulders. One of the women happened to glance in Tanya's direction as they passed. She was so young. Oh, Andula, what have I done to you? Tanya started hyperventilating. What did ice do to you? What have they done to me? What lies have I served? She waited for the students to sway around a corner and out of sight before she walked the last few yards to her building. First, she would peel off her sodden clothing and bundle herself in every blanket she owned. And then she'd pour herself a drink. And maybe a second. And then she and grandfather would have a very direct conversation. If necessary, She'd stay up all night interrogating the construct. 
she trudged up the stairs. Staving off death from hypothermia had drained every charm on her person, and that had been a narrow thing. Back home in Volgograd, she'd seen men and women who spent every day in various levels of stupor, forever trying to forget the battle of Stalingrad. And she'd seen what happened when somebody so deep in the bottle was deprived of alcohol. Tanya's hands shook like that now, as she fought to get her key into the lock. She managed eventually, but only after a conspicuous amount of jangling, and not before spiderwebbing the escutcheon with new scratches. Once inside, she threw the locks and slumped against the padded door. Her frostbitten heart beat so hard. The pulse of blood in her ears boomed like a kettle drum. She stood there for a long moment, catching her breath, before engaging in the battle to remove her boots. Those she let fall where they might. Exhausted, horrified, and chilled to the marrow, she shuffled to her bedroom, trailing articles of sodden clothing. It wasn't until she had dragged the covers from the bed and wrapped herself like a Bedouin when she realized that despite the late hour, she hadn't needed to turn on any lights. Not in the hallway, not in her bedroom. She hadn't left them on when she left, had she? That was the kind of wasteful excess one expected from children and Westerners. Tanya tiptoed out of her tiny bedroom and peeked around the corner to the other branch of the hallway. Lights blazed in every room of her apartment, in the water closet, in the bathroom, and at the end of the hallway, the kitchen. Whence came a faint, high-pitched warble and hiss, as of somebody tuning a radio. Oh no. The warbly static from the kitchen crystallized into her grandfather's voice, as if the person tuning the construct's dials had thrown a net into the ether and pulled his soul down to earth like a wounded bird. What matters should we discuss? said the construct. The intruder's chuckle was terribly familiar. No, 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 no. Delaying only long enough to don a proper robe, she padded barefoot to the kitchen, hoping like mad that she'd misheard. She'd misheard, she'd misunderstood. There was an innocent explanation. There wasn't. Sitting at her kitchen table, fiddling with the knobs on her grandfather's radio, was Alexander Vadimovich Komietsky, chief of KGB Prague Station, her pots and pans were piled on the floor beside the cabinet. I'm disappointed and frightened, Tatiana Mikhailovna. A strange man enters your flat and you do nothing to confront him? How fortunate for you that it was only me, your true friend with nothing but fatherly affection and your best interests at heart. A long fraught moment passed, before the gears in Tanya's rattled mind engaged sufficiently for conversation. Sir, what are you doing here? I was worried about you, Tanya. No sign of you in the office all day, and even dear Nadia had no idea of your whereabouts. We feared something terrible had happened. She'd thought her errand to the barge would take at most an hour around sunrise. It was probably now after midnight. 
Evading the guards on the barge and shaking the pursuit had taken many hours and one desperate plunge in the river. She hadn't reported to KGB Prague Station all day. And my, my, I see my fears have been realized, he continued. The scent of his breath told her that along with grandfather's construct, he'd also found the last of her alcohol. So much for that drink she'd been hoping for. Why are you all wet, dear Tanya, with mud in your hair? I jumped into the river, she said. At least that much was true. The most foolish, most immature part of her hoped they'd just concentrate on the river and he wouldn't mention the construct in his hands. In response to the furrowing of his brow, she added, it was a desperate situation. I was being followed. They may have been with a Western service. All technically true. She knew nothing about the ice staff stationed on the barge. Sasha shook his head. My, my, my. It hurts my aging heart to think you nearly came to trouble. Of course, if you had followed procedures and hadn't been acting alone, perhaps you wouldn't have found yourself in such dire straits. At my station, we take care of each other. Yes? Yes, sir. Always. We're a family. He nodded solemnly. But then he tapped the radio with a fingernail and chuckled. <laughs> but speaking of family. A punch of dread threatened to double her over. This strange device. Then I found it. At first I thought, oh no, our dear Tanya has an unreported radio. I cannot tell you how it pained me to think you might be listening to Western number stations. This was bad. This was Siberian gulag bad. She started to shake again, but not from cold. Sir, I can't explain. He carried on as if she hadn't spoken. But oh, my relief, it barely receives anything and nothing on a shortwave band, just a lone disembodied voice claiming to be somebody's grandfather. Oh, grandfather, what secrets did Sasha trick you into revealing? Her half-frozen, three-quarters terrified, fully unprepared mind scrambled for purchase on the slippery conversation. It must be malfunctioning. No, no, you fool, don't admit your guilt. With one telephone call, Sasha could have her family's stipend slashed or have them rounded up as dissidents. He nodded. Of course it is. Why, it's not even plugged in. Besides, I understand your only surviving grandfather is very ill. He's in a coma in Volgograd, yes? Yes, sir. He reached forward and patted her hand. You needn't worry. Soviet doctors are the best in the world, you know. And a veteran of the Great Patriotic War? Remarkable men like that receive the very best care. I'm sure there's little danger of anything happening to him. The veiled threat was a fist clenching her innards. She pressed a hand to her stomach, gasping for air. Sir, 
you're also quite remarkable, Tetiana Mikhailovna. More lives than a cat. First, you survive a plunge into an icy river in January. Then, when you're found to be in possession of an illegal radio, who should be the one to find it but me? Again, such luck. Because I know your loyalty and dedication are absolute. A lesser apparatchik would seek to misconstrue this for his own benefit. She blinked. What was happening? Her mind was too cold and slow to keep up. He stood. Which is why, in order to protect you, I will take this strange device. It is the best option. Yes? Boshe moi, Dadushka. She gaped at him like a goldfish. I, I mean, I, I think. Again, he waved her quiet. Now, now, don't worry about thanking me right now. Perhaps an opportunity will show itself in the future. Opportunity. A favor. I'm doing you this favor now, and maybe there will come a time when I need a favor from you. As I said, we take care of each other. There was another word for it, of course. Blackmail. He shrugged. You're a highly resourceful woman, Tatiana Mikhailovna. Should it ever come to that, I'm sure you'll be equal to the task. He donned his coat, and with it, a mantle of avuncular concern. Take tomorrow off. Stay in bed, lest you catch a cold. Sasha's orders. I'll ask Comrade Ostrohina to check on you. She'll bring Piragi. He said this last with a smile and a wink, as if he hadn't just threatened to have her grandfather murdered, and hadn't just made it nauseatingly clear that, for all intents and purposes, he owned her now. Sasha paused in the doorway. You should think about moving. The superintendent of this building is not an honest man. Rumor has it that for a shockingly small bribe, He'll let a strange old man enter the apartment of a perfectly respectable young lady, such as yourself. I fear for you, living in the midst of such despicable moral turpitude. Good night to you. And with that, he was gone. Her grandfather's construct tucked under his arm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Gabe stumbled between the graves, arms over Jordan and Alistair. Sandwiched between her sandalwood and his cologne, he felt like a shipwreck in the men's department of Harrods. Alistair led them through the darkness with the surety of a bat, steering them toward the east entrance. New noises had joined the sound of pursuit. 
First, a tremendous crashing and shattering, as though something were punching free of an old wooden casket. Then a slow but steady crunching, as of lumbering footsteps on gravel. A few dozen yards ahead, a trio of flashlit fog halos loomed amid the graves. Alistair paused for a moment, as if consulting an internal map. Abruptly, he said, this way, and pulled them north into an older section of the cemetery. They passed rows of grave markers. Here, he said, just as abruptly, and pulled them into a crouch. They'd stopped behind a gravestone so blackened and weathered by age as to be unreadable. Gabe would have thought the occupant long forgotten, yet somebody had recently left a posy. It was more grass than flowers, but still a nice gesture. Jordan frowned when she saw it. Hey, wait a second. Alistair wrung the posy like a dish towel until it tore apart and the bundle coughed out a little cloud of seeds and flower petals. It elicited a strange but not unpleasant tingle in what Gabe had begun to think of as his other sense, a legacy of the hitchhiker. It felt like soft magic. The MI6 sorcerer whispered, that should buy us a few undetected moments. Moments later, a policeman stalked past their hiding spot. Gabe could see the man's silhouette in the fog and hear the rustle of his clothing. But the cop didn't even slow when his flashlight beam swept over them. His footsteps receded into the graveyard. Gabe frowned. What the hell just happened? For the first time all night, the hint of a smile played across Jordan's face. She whispered, Alistair salted the entire graveyard with charms. Alistair shook his head. Merely a few strategic locations, but one does strive to be prepared. I wondered why you bought up so much of my inventory. Prepared. What had Alistair said? Something about being predictable. Wait a second. You knew I was going to try this? Alistair shot his cuffs. I suspected that sooner or later you'd go looking for the golem. From somewhere in the fog came a shout, followed by a heavy crash, as of a shattered gravestone. I didn't suspect you'd meet with such spectacular success. But how? I never told a soul before tonight. Prague is rife with tales of the golem. But to those of us embroiled in this occult conflict, the descriptions have all the hallmarks of an extremely powerful construct. Many on both sides have sought it. It's difficult to resist the allure of such a seductive legend. But in all this time, nobody has ever found it, said Jordan, because it's only a legend. So thought we all, Alistair shrugged. Any traces of the animating spellwork must have dissipated centuries ago, rendering it utterly undetectable. That is, until the remarkable Mr. Pritchard came along. Gabe massaged his aching wrist. His skin exhibited a distinctly hand-shaped wheel. Had the golem squeezed any harder, it might have ground his bones into powder. Speaking of which, I know our mutual friend here has been prone to indelicate actions of late, Alistair continued. 
But I am somewhat taken aback to find you involved in this ill-advised venture, Miss Reams. I owe him, she shivered, hugging herself. What happened to Gabe, it was my fault. You refer to Mr. Pritchard's infamous misadventure in Cairo, yes? A ripping yarn, no doubt. Although, when a fellow makes discreet inquiries, all through the proper channels, mind you, one finds details devilishly thin on the ground. I rather suspect that you, Miss Reams, are the only person who knows the full story. She bit her lip and flicked a nervous glance at Gabe. Though his head spun like a tornado, he understood the gesture. Oh, my God. You've always said you found me in that stinking alley. Have you any idea how frightening it is to wake up with a gaping hole in your memory and nothing but disjointed fever dream nightmares where an entire day should be? For years, I've worried that I'm losing my mind. But you've known all along what happened and what's wrong with me, haven't you? Jordan shook her head. No, no, Gabe, I swear I don't know what happened to you. I can't offer you any certainty. Just a crackpot theory. Or at least I thought it was crackpottery until tonight. If you don't spill the beans right now, Gabe whispered, I will stand and belt out the star-spangled banner at the top of my lungs until every policeman in the city finds us. Jordan looked away. I only know what I think I witnessed that afternoon. All I know is that I woke up in an alleyway with a day-long gap in my memory. So let's hear it. To Alistair, Jordan said, It was flame. We barged in on a sorcerous work in progress. Big one. A geographically distributed operation. Cairo, Rome, Peking. An operation intended to achieve what, exactly? The Brit was all business now. For a moment, the languid Etonian old boy charm evaporated, revealing the hardened MI6 lamplighter at the core. I think they were trying to hollow somebody out, to create their own host. For a moment, nobody said anything. The only sounds were the occasional shouts of the Verena Bezpestniost officers searching for them. Believe me, I know how it sounds, she said. As time went on, I convinced myself that I'd misunderstood what I'd witnessed. I chalked it up to adrenaline and fear. But the way Gabe's proximity energized the golem construct, I'm not so skeptical any longer. You believe the elemental intended for the flame volunteer ended up in our Gabriel. He's not a host, though, so it can't join with him. Again, Jordan shook her head. Instead, I believe it's lodged halfway, like a couch stuck in a doorway. Now that, said Alistair, is an elegant and intriguing hypothesis. Well, great. That solves it then. I just need to find some college students, Gabe hissed. He paused to spit the taste of copper from his mouth. I'll pay them with beer. Jordan gave him the side eye. To Alistair, she said, are we certain we can't leave him? Would that we could, my dear. A new round of shouts echoed through the fog. At first, just a couple, 
as policemen called to one another. Then, more voices joined in, a chorus of alarm. They were converging on something. Alistair stood. Perhaps we should depart. Jordan helped Gabe to his feet. Thank you, Alistair. I wasn't prepared for this. I'm glad you were. The tumult turned from shouts to screams. A heavy impact shook the cemetery, and then something large and limp came flying out of the darkness. It landed nearby with a meaty thud. As one, they stared at the dead policeman. I confess, I wasn't quite prepared for that. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.